You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Deutsche Bank is settling the Justice Department's investigation into its dealings in mortgage-backed securities for $7.2 billion. That's a little more than half the opening demand from the Justice Department. Credit Suisse has also announced that it's settling with the DOJ for $5.28 billion. In contrast, Barclays has decided to face off against the government in its long-running investigation over bank sale of mortgage bonds ahead of the financial crisis. The Justice Department the department is suing Barclays for repeatedly deceiving investors about the quality of more than $31 billion in loans backing the securities that were sold between 2005 and 2007. My guests are John Coffey, professor at Columbia University Law School, and Peter Henning, professor at Wayne State University Law School. John, how rare is it for one of the big banks to risk drawn-out litigation rather than settling? Well, it is very rare because large banks don't want to be in a position of having the government of the largest financial country in the world suing them. On the other hand, they may have reached a decision that it's in their own self-interest to wait for Mr. Trump to come into office in the belief that Mr. Trump's administration will either give up on the suit, abandon it, or settle it very cheaply. And that's where we see different banks reaching very different decisions. Peter, Barclays denies the charges. Is there anything different about the case against Barclays than the case about from the other banks? It's hard to see any real difference between them. The Justice Department is using FIREA, the, <clears throat> the law that comes out of the SNL crisis in the late 1980s, that is built around uh, claims of mail and wire fraud to then try to show that these different banks put together uh, essentially toxic residential mortgage-backed securities and sold them. So I don't see much of a difference, although, you know, each case has its own little quirks. And in this one, you had some funny little emails, but the overall theory is the same. And what's your... What's your thought about Trump being president and whether Barclays thinks that they can get a better deal with the Trump administration? Well, I, mean, I, I think that's a pretty expensive roll of the dice. I don't see um, Jeff Sessions, who's going to be coming in, uh, at least expected to come in as the attorney general, uh, taking a more favorable view of banks, and especially a foreign bank that's accused of wrongdoing. And, of course, you know, the, one of the populist themes, if you will, from this past election was you know, we don't want banks taking advantage 
of customers. So while the claim of, for less regulation is one thing, this is really about enforcement, and I think that's a little different agenda. So uh, if they are banking on President Trump and potential Attorney General Sessions going easy, you wonder how good a bet that is. John, Deutsche Bank is settling for $7.2 billion. That's down from the $14 billion that the Justice Department initially offered them for settlement. Why? How good a deal is that for Deutsche Bank? I think it's actually a little better than it appears at first glance, because while it's $7.2 billion, only $3.1 billion is a penalty that must be paid in cash currently. The remainder of $4.1 billion will be accounted for through modifications of existing loans. Now, they haven't agreed what those modifications will be. That's still a subject where there could be intense negotiation. And it's not clear what the cost of this would be, because if various borrowers have defaulted, your chances of getting repaid are modest at best, and writing down that loan by 50% costs you very little. So I think you should look at this as a real payment of $3.1 billion and an adjusted amount that still has to be fleshed in with a lot more details, but probably won't be the same as a face value loss of $4.1 billion. Peter, was Deutsche Bank under pressure to settle? Oh, under enormous pressure to settle, especially when word came out back in, I believe it was September, that the Justice Department's opening bid was $14 billion. Um, the market reacted very negatively. I think everyone knew that that was just an opening bid and that it would be much lower, as we've seen here. Uh, but it, Deutsche Bank really had to get this behind it. It couldn't run the risk like Barclays is running that it, it could go to trial because then the potential uh, amount of a penalty could have run over $10 billion. So uh, they had to get this finished. John, how has the Obama administration done as far as this investigation into the banks and the money that it's gotten back? Well, I think the Obama administration really changed its policy in the last two years. For a long time, they appeared to be very reluctant to go after banks or bank executives. Mr. Holder was a little bit embarrassed by the claim that uh, he had allegedly said that some banks were too big to fail or too big to jail. In uh, the last two years, they have stepped up the amount of pressure, and they've gotten numbers from, for example, J.P. Morgan or something like $14 billion. So they found it important to show that they were being tough with respect to banks. And I think right now we're in the shadow of the Obama administration, and it may be that the regulators under Obama are scrambling a bit to see if they can resolve this now, partly to get credit for resolving the crisis and partly to avoid the disposition being made by the next administration and what may or may not be a more lenient disposition. Peter, that was my question, actually, which is how how much scrambling is going on at Justice right now, and is that why they Barclays decided perhaps to to take a step back, let them sue, and then see what happens? Well, certainly that's a possibility, and we're at the end of an administration. The outgoing uh, senior leadership wants to see the cases resolved. The the lower level people who do the actual work on the cases aren't going to change, but. You know, 
what Barclays may be doing is looking at it going, well, you know, once the dust settles after the change, let's see what happens. Let's see how much they want to litigate. I suspect Barclays is hoping that they can whittle down any settlement. And as Jack pointed out, it's really, you know, when we see these numbers of $7 billion or $5.28, that's not the real number. That's in the headline. But it may be that they can whittle down the penalty, um, come up with some way to do the rebates to consumers and save themselves some money. So I suspect that's their plan. John, is Sessions on record as far as antitrust? Well, of course, you're saying antitrust. This is primarily a securities fraud case in which the allegation is... Sorry, I had our last... I had my last topic still in my mind. You're right. As far as uh, securities fraud. Well, I don't think he's ever said that it's a good thing. He did criticize Jamie Dimon two years ago for settling too cheaply and for too much. He felt that, that Chase Manhattan should have gone to trial rather than settling at $14 billion. But I don't know that he's got a consistent position. And I think, actually, the people who have real influence here are the Attorney General and the Secretary of the Treasury. Their disposition towards all these cases and how they should be settled is probably going to be more decisive because this really isn't a presidential issue. He's going to have his hands full with world affairs and other matters and probably leave this to the directly responsible regulators. Treasury and Department of Justice. An extraordinary twist in one of the most high-profile insider trading cases brought by Manhattan U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara. Las Vegas gambler Billy Walters may escape insider trading charges because an FBI agent leaked secrets of the criminal investigation to reporters. Walters has pleaded not guilty to charges of trading shares of Dean Foods based on inside tips from the company's former chairman. The chairman has pleaded guilty and is cooperating with investigators. But the case has been thrown into turmoil because an FBI agent admitted to prosecutors that he leaked confidential information about the investigation to two newspapers. Federal Judge P. Kevin Castell said he was shocked after reading the government memo about the leaks and said defense lawyers can file a motion to dismiss the case. I've been talking with Peter Henning, the professor at Wayne State University Law School, and John Coffey, professor at Columbia University Law School. Peter, tell us about what this FBI agent did and why? Uh, well, I'm not sure of the why. The what is that he met with reporters from the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and back in around 2014 and told them about the investigation of Walters, uh, along with the, the big name that has come up in this is Phil Mickelson, the uh, uh, major champion winner, and that... Uh, told these reporters about how the investigation was progressing, and apparently it had hit something of a brick wall. And so the idea, I guess, the why was to try to get it jump-started by getting the information into the media, and maybe that would get someone to come in and cooperate. Now, one defendant, the tipper, ultimately did, a gentleman by the name of Thomas Davis, uh, who'd been on the board of Dean Foods. So it may have had that effect, but of course, FBI agents and prosecutors can't disclose confidential information, and this was very much confidential information, and in fact, might well have been grand jury information that could uh, result in a criminal prosecution of the agent. Jack, the judge seems 
quite upset, to say the least. Is he likely to throw this case out, and on what basis? Well, he did invite a motion to dismiss, and that's unusual. Uh, Judge Castell has been on the bench for 25 years. He's not seen as hostile to prosecutors, and he's probably encountered lots of other episodes, but he did feel this was well out of the ordinary. Now, in terms of how government officials behave, uh, I'd have to say that leaking and tipping of reporters is a fairly common practice, and some U.S. attorneys, not Mr. Bahara, were quite famous for doing that regularly. Uh, The real implication here for the future is this may very much change the behavior of FBI and prosecutors in dealing with the press, and the press may find that it's going to lose some of its most valuable sources of information if FBI agents find they can either be prosecuted, and they can be, or that their careers will be ruined because they're caught leaking information. And defense counsel will investigate this now more regularly. Peter, I have to say that... I was shocked that the judge was shocked because it seems that, you know, a lot of stories get into into the papers and it has to be a leak usually from the, the prosecution or the prosecutors or the FBI agents. So why is this so different? But something pushed the judge over the line. And I think it's just the, the manipulativeness that's involved. There are any number of cases in which there are leaks and the judge orders the Justice Department to investigate and the Justice Department dutifully asks everyone, did you leak information? Everyone then responds, no, we would never leak information. And that's pretty much the end of it. And the judge even said, look, when I first heard this claim from Walter's attorney, I was skeptical. And he goes, now you've convinced me. So when the government came back at the claims of leaks and said, nah, nothing to see here, and then all of a sudden issues this letter that says, oops, we were wrong, uh, it, it got the judge's attention. And this is, as Jack said, it's a very experienced judge. Something pushed him and said, you know what, this is just not right. So, Jack, how will they decide and who will decide whether or not to prosecute the FBI agent? Well, the party that will decide is the inspector general of the Department of Justice. They have commenced a criminal probe of this FBI agent. His name has not yet been disclosed, but the judge has indicated he may soon disclose that name. You can prosecute the FBI agent either because of grand jury secrecy, which I don't know whether that was violated or not here, or because under a famous Supreme Court decision called the Carpenter case, an employee cannot disclose confidential information that belongs to his employer. That can violate the mail and wire fraud acts, and there have been such prosecutions. So it's not uh, it's not unusual legal terrain if you can establish the facts. Uh, But the impact, I think, is going to really chill the behavior of prosecutors and FBI agents, and the press is going to get far less information if this goes forward. I want to ask you both for a yes or no answer on this. Uh, Jack, will the judge throw the case out? I uh, think it's a 50-50 bet right now. Okay. And Peter? Uh, Yes. 
But I also said the Enron case wouldn't go criminal. <laughs> so anyone who believes me, um, my predictions are terrible. But All I'm going right. to go with a yes. Thank you both for being on Bloomberg Law. That's Peter Henning, professor at Wayne State University Law School, and John Coffey, professor at Columbia University Law School. That's it for this edition of Bloomberg Law. We'll be back on Monday at 1 p.m. Wall Street time. Thanks to our technical director, Chris Tricomi, and our producer, David Sutcherman. Bloomberg Markets with Carol Masser and Corey Johnson starts right now on Bloomberg Radio. And everyone at Bloomberg Law wants to wish you the happiest of holidays. This is Bloomberg. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.